0: And now, Failed Spin-Off Theater presents The Super Lucario Brothers Super Show. You can see why this didn't last.
1: There are too many
0: cartoons, but they'll watch them more. The James to hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm James Irish. I'm Pembroke to Corgi, and I'm Chrissy Harding. I'm keeping your singing in, Chrissy.
1: It's my whole music <laughs> at work. That is my whole music at work. Whenever someone comes in and asks me a question, I always, I always sing the Mario Brothers' name song at work. That's my whole music. I'm like, please hold. And then I start singing it.
0: So welcome to the Pemi, Chrissy, and James kind of sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast.
1: Hi.
0: And we are plunging into the peak of Mario Mania.
1: You know, you just got to warp ahead with this stuff.
0: Got to
2: use your plumber's mm-hmm. helper.
1: Got to sneak on in.
2: Actually, that was something in this show. I wonder if there was some rule that you couldn't say a plunger or something in a cartoon show because they never called it a plunger on this. Despite using them, they called them a plumber's helper or a plumber's little helper. Huh? That, hmm.
1: Maybe that was their way of like slipping in like double entendres for the adults that would happen to be in the room.
2: <laughs> Luigi, stop using your plunger, your plumber's little helper, in public. <laughs>
0: Now, this would not be the first time Mario would be animated, nor would it be the first time we saw either brother in live action. For animation, the Saturday Supercade would feature Mario alongside Donkey Kong and Pauline, whose misadventures helped anchor Ruby Spears' Saturday Supercade. And Mario would appear in live action, of a sort, in advertisements for ColecoVision's video games which I only just remembered as I started reading my script. So it's a good Ah. thing I corrected myself.
2: Yeah. Ah, He doesn't look anything like, he looks more like Dick Dastardly or Snidely Whiplash in those.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And for Luigi, he first popped up in the ad for Atari support of the Mario Brothers arcade game for their home consoles and various computers of the early 80s. Mario, where are you? As this goes live, a new video from Pemmy's Artificial Orange YouTube channel features a short commentary on that very ad. So go check it out.
1: I highly recommend everything on Pemi's YouTube channel, actually.
0: Oh. Well, yeah. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. It's a good time.
0: There's also a healthy chunk of overlap with the pre production of this series. And that of the Saturday morning show that Deke debuted that same year on NBC, Captain and the Game Master. So it's worth your time going to listen to that episode of our podcast if you haven't already.
1: That is completely a shameless plug, people. Go
0: now. Let's we'll quickly recap. The Super Mario Brothers Super Show began life as the Super Mario Power Hour and would have presumably featured a Mario cartoon in the first segment then a rotating feature in the second, from a pool of suggested subjects including Legend of Zelda, Castlevania, California Games, Double Dragon, and Metroid. Only Zelda survived, along with Mario, into the final version.
1: Although we did eventually get a Double Dragons cartoon.
0: Right. Yeah. With Zelda as the Friday cartoon, which would be previewed through the week leading up to it. Though Deke spent a year trying to get Nintendo to license their characters, the video game giant eventually saw the show as a way to further build brand recognition.
1: And they really weren't wrong. (laughs) They really weren't.
0: Though Deke took some definite
2: takes.
1: (laughs) Well, it is
2: Deke.
1: (laughs) I mean, it it is Deke. (laughs) Like... We kind of have a love-hate relationship with Deke, as we did kind of talk about in the last episode. (laughs) We kind of love to hate them.
0: Deke's then-CEO, Andy Hayward, who produced and helped create this series, said of the property that it was so different from other projects they'd worked on, they had to approach it differently. And different is sure what we got. With a mix of live-action segments opening and closing the show, with the cartoon of the day being the bulk of the runtime in the middle.
1: Which I actually kind of enjoyed as a kid.
2: Even now, it still has a nice kind of cheesy fun to it. Yeah,
1: to the detriment of my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Not my dad. My dad My dad apparently really wasn't home enough to be traumatized by it as much as my mother was.
0: Now, thematically and audibly linking these two portions of the show were the dual performances of Lou Albano and Danny Wells, portraying Mario and Luigi respectively in both live-action and animation. Lou is best known with the honorific Captain, as a professional wrestling manager who led more tag teams to championship gold than any other in WWF history, earning the nickname The Guiding Light. Coincidentally, We've seen Captain Lou before this in live action segments on a deep cartoon on uh, Hulk Hogan's Rockin' Wrestling.
1: Although, it's still oh. not as bad as Lassie's Rescue Rangers.
0: No, oh, mm. but it's close.
2: It's close. <laughs> I, I, mm
0: they're also both bad in two completely different ways. And if you don't remember that episode, then you have the brain size of the dehydrated baby. If you put it in a pigeon, the pigeon flies backwards. You have no business challenging the wild Samoans for the tag belts, baby. James. Thanks. I think Lou's ghost possessed me for a second there. I wouldn't be surprised. Danny Wells, on the other hand, was a successful character actor who played Charlie the bartender through the entire run of the Jeffersons' 11 seasons. And after breaking into voice acting with the Ralph Bakshi film Hey Good Lookin', he would first work with Deke as the reoccurring characters Bush and Raoul in their Heathcliff cartoons. Heathcliff,
2: Heathcliff, never should terrorize your neighborhood.
1: (laughs) I kind of like Raoul.
0: Now in the live-action segments, Mario and Luigi are portrayed back at their Brooklyn plumbing company, where they get into any number of misadventures with folks ranging from Magic Johnson, Elvira, Ernie Hudson, and Cindy Lauper to actors portraying the likes of Albert Einstein, George Washington, and Mikhail Gorbachev. Yes, really. And he wanted to open a pizza business. Hey, Gorby! Well, will your pizza parlor deliver? I promise delivery in 30 days!
1: Oh, my Lord. That's actually what was one of my favorite episodes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) To even multiple instances of Maurice LaMarche playing a live action Inspector Gadget.
1: Oh, my God. That was Maurice LaMarche, wasn't it?
0: Would you believe it was Maurice LaMarche
2: two of the times? How about one of the times? How about all of the times?
1: How about a hot dog in a trench coat?
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's myriad anecdotes here, and we'd be at them all day. So, Pemi, Chrissy, give us a couple more of your personal highlights, not including the episodes we're covering today. Uh, it was just fun seeing what per-
2: what person, like, Luau Bano could, like, pull some strings to get into the show. I mean, Sergeant Slaughter is in an episode, and he seemingly drove a tank yes.
1: with yes. double arc. Oh Sergeant's in two
2: episodes, actually. Oh, that's right, he is.
1: Oh, I forgot. Like, if, yeah, the double parking tank. Oh, my God. This show's just worth going back and watching and seeing the who's who's of the 80s shows up. <laughs> like, really.
2: Because <laughs> it, it really was. I mean, that's probably why Cindy Lauper appeared, too. So,
1: Well, and you could just tell, like, the guest stars they had were just having fun on the show. Like... I eventually did get to talk to my mom about why she had such a visceral reaction to this. And it was because... um, Remember when they used to have the Scholastic Book Fairs? Uh Uh-huh. And one of them, they actually allowed you to order and tape a VHS of this show. And it was the one where King Koopa becomes kind of like Godzilla. Oh, boy. And it was... That episode, and I used to play it all the time, and I mean every day until the tape died. And I can't remember who the guest star was on it, but that was it was one of my favorite. And I'm trying to find remember who it was. Which you think it would be burned into my brain?
0: Well, while you uh, rack your brain, I am. The princess. animated segments dealt with the brothers working with Princess Toadstool, not yet Peach here in America. And Toad, the Mushroom Retainer, to battle King Koopa and his army of goons from the first two Super Mario games in parodies of movies, TV shows, and classic stories. And sometimes <laughs> even historical events. <laughs> hmm. hmm Like the Revolutionary War.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Now, here's what had me hung up as a details-crazed kid back then. Koopa's not in the second Mario game. At least not the one released in the States. Rather, Wart is the boss of Mauser, Tri-Clyde, Birdo, the Shy Guys, and the other villains native to that game. But I don't think Nintendo was particularly hung up on that detail, since by that point, Super Mario Bros. 3 was in stores in Japan. And a redesigned version of the Mario 2 enemy, bob was indeed serving Bowser in that game. And slowly but surely, most of Wart's minions from Subcon would be integrated into the main Mushroom Kingdom setting. None of this was obvious to U.S. kids in 1989 when the show came out. So, of course, I probably wasn't alone. Now, the other thing that both live-action and animated segments have in common is a liberal dose of sound effects from the two games.
2: Actually, that's probably one of my favorite parts. I love how creatively they'll use the sound effects.
0: I
1: have to agree with that. Oh, here it is. Mario meets Coopzilla. And it was Kate Ballard who shows up as a fortune teller on the show. And Mario and Luigi are anxious to find out what prize they won in a sweepstakes. So they they talk to the fortune teller for help. Which probably is why I enjoy fortune telling so much. Um, I was influenced
0: at a young age. (laughs) So in the animated segments... Wells and Albano were joined by three regularly reoccurring voice performers. Jenny Elias portrayed Princess Toadstool and John Stocker, a Canadian voice actor with hundreds of credits to his name, not only voiced Toad, but also Mauser, the Koopa Troopas, and some other reoccurring baddies. We could be here all day listing his voice roles, but more general audiences of the 80s might know him best as the announcer on SCTV. Finally, The Gruff King Koopa is performed by Harvey Atkin, known for Morty in the movie Meatballs, Sergeant Coleman in Cagney and Lacey, and Sam in the animated series based on Steve Purcell's Sam and Max Freelance Police. I think Harvey
2: Atkin's uh, portrayal of King Koopa is quite possibly the best part of this entire show. Um, I agree. (laughs) I don't know if either of the two episodes have, like, one of his, like, Have any of his better moments, but some of the episodes, he just plays that type of cartoon villain that just loves being a jerk. And I kind of love that that archetype, even though it's kind of really popular in the 80s for a while there. But it's it's that very, you know, Dick Dastardly kind of Skeletor kind of over the top. But he's really over the top. I I think my favorite line is in the Great Gladiator gig when Pete uh, when Princess Toadstall complains about him. Breaking a promise. He's like, the best part about being evil is you get to lie a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's very much like a mustache twirling, like bad guy. And it's just, it's great because he plays completely into that archetype. And you just, you just enjoy him. You just thoroughly enjoy him as the bad guy.
0: One last thing before we dive in. Much like Captain N and a few other shows Deke was involved with, like Alvin and the Chipmunks. Mm -hmm. This series used re-recordings of popular songs from the past few decades, and rights issues for formats not including broadcast television means they've been replaced by music cues from subsequent Mario productions from the studio. We'll point these out as we reach them in the episode, though I think it only happens once in the episodes we look at.
2: They usually have one for each episode.
0: Yeah, but I couldn't find any evidence of what the one for our second episode was. Hmm. And believe me, I looked.
1: Yeah, I don't. Rem- I don't remember if they used one in the second episode. In the second one, we looked at. Hmm.
0: It's weird. I. I mean, if I had to take a guess, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there.
1: Leave me speculate at the time. Proper time.
0: Right now, it's time for the bird. The bird. <laughs> the plane. <Nah>. The plane. <laughs> Backed with neatness counts. In live action, the brothers are playfully critiquing each other's neatness. When a female voice comes out of nowhere, it's Nicole Eggert from the sitcom Charles in Charge, which she won an Emmy for, by the way. And Mm -hmm. she's just randomly in their medicine cabinet checking the expiration date on their toothpaste.
1: Yeah. As a kid, this didn't bother me as much as an adult. I'm like, this is
0: creepy. Folks, if that description doesn't give you the tone of the live action segments, No other description I can come up with will. I know this
2: episode's infamous infamous for a meme because in the start of it where Mario says, oh, well, thank you, Luigi. The way he says it really fast, actually, for a long time, had people thought he said F you, Luigi.
0: (laughs) The actual reason Nicole is there is she has a clogged sink and she's in a hurry. And the brothers demonstrate their skills, which sprays Nicole in the face, right when she has to go to a party.
2: Uh Uh Uh-oh.
0: Yeah, a very overacted uh-oh from the boys. And we go to commercial.
1: Well, they're very much aware that this is going to be a kid's show.
0: Now, our main feature, The Bird, The Bird, is written by Reed and Bruce Shelley, who served as the principal story editors for the animated Mario segments. The cast are wandering in a frozen wilderness as the brothers have just freed the princess and are looking for a way back to Brooklyn when a Birdo flies in. We should explain Birdo, shouldn't we? Pam, lay it on us. Well, for starters, Birdo can't fly, but... <laughs>
2: <laughs> Birdo is one of my favorite, many favorite Mario characters, but originally started in Super Mario Bros. 2. And is kind of a reptile dinosaur thing. Named Catherine in Japan. I don't know why they decided to name her Birdo in America. But she shoots eggs out of her snout. And she's pink and has a bow. At the very least, at least they got the bow correct in this. Because there's a lot of uh, official Mario stuff like Nintendo Power that actually mistook the bow for ears. But, uh, yeah kind of a dinosaur sort of thing also has the description of saying it's a male that thinks it's a female and shoots eggs in the, the uh, original Mario two instruction book, which is kind of a surprising thing to put in anything in the eighties, which has also gotten a lot of questions from now, but I think we all respect that Birdo is a she (laughs) or at least identifies as such. But uh, I, I think it's a very cute design. I don't know if I can say that for this take on it, but I guess since they named her Birdo in the uh, English version of the game, they decided that she can also fly for some reason.
0: Yeah. There's been a lot of depictions of Birdo in various games, and not once has it been depicted with wings or as a flying creature, except in this series. Yeah, yeah. Gave little weird mini wings under her
2: arms. That way they decided to animate her nose snout um, thing in this just looks odd. Which, even that raises a lot of questions considering eggs come out of it, but I'm not going to deep dive on that.
0: <laughs> we should also mention that the most obvious sign that this is a very early episode in the production order is that most of Toad's colors are inverted from what we typically see in the cartoon. I'm... Hesitant to call it an error since maybe Deke was still changing things in mid production.
2: Uh, it's possible because some of the uh, early uh, VHS boxes also had Toad in those colors, even in episodes where he wasn't those colors. So I think it actually may have been an early design issue.
0: By sheer coincidence, this anomaly making me focus on Toad leads to us watching him get snatched up by Birdo, who thinks he's her kid cheapy.
2: Birdo is far-sighted're <laughs> just bad seeing it altogether.
1: I think she needs new prescriptions for those glasses. Also naming her kid cheapy well it does make kind of sense Birdo, Cheepy. I when I heard the name, I was like, wait, her kid is a cheap cheap?
2: <laughs> that could have made for some interesting like
1: that raises some interesting questions.
2: <laughs> that could have just been an interesting plot like development. Um I'm also going to say this is probably the best animation in the entire series and it's kind of sad but <laughs> <laughs> this is the
1: bar
0: For those who are uh, not up to their Mario enemies, a Cheep-Cheep is actually a fish
1: who will take you out with the slightest touch. The hitbox on it is slightly askew.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a really... fish
2: but it's got a beak like a
1: like bird a bird.
0: Kinda. Yeah. Which makes it closer to a bird than Birdo.
1: That's a very true statement, actually, now that I'm thinking
2: about it. Like I said before, I I never understood that But
1: It's the Mushroom Kingdom. Nothing makes sense.
0: (laughs) The remaining heroes watch as Toad is flown off to the peaks of a frozen mountain. The princess beseeches the brothers to save Toad, and Luigi needs to be cajoled into it a bit. Now, question for you two. Is this the first media where Luigi is portrayed as being cowardly? Pretty
2: much. Probably. And, and I think they kind of just went with it from there. I don't know if that's inspired Nintendo to do that, or they just both came to the same conclusion. That it just makes them stand out from Mario better don't know i
1: i kind of agree i think they had to do something to make the two brothers kind of stand out from each other where mario being the older brother is a bit more of a kind of go-getter and luigi being the younger brother is probably like i don't know about this this doesn't seem safe this water is a little questionable it's
2: it's also funny though because like in the uh, animated segments, they definitely kind of play Mario as a smarter brother, and then in the live-action segments, they kind of play Luigi as a smarter brother for some reason.
1: Yeah, the warp, the warp pipe warped their brains just a tiny bit.
2: <laughs> Maybe it's because Mario is the one telling these stories.
1: It's also that too, because remember, Mario is the one who is uh, narrating. It's
2: not Luigi. Oh yeah, we didn't even mention the star, the Star Trek parody in every episode. Where yeah, it
0: was plumber's Club. log. Log date a 101 or something like that? Yeah,
2: yeah, it's
1: yeah, it's 101 or yeah, 101 or 1001 or something like
0: that.
2: Yeah. It's 101 cuz it's the first episode. So yeah. that w- that's how a lot of the uh, episode guides work for when they produce shows.
0: So, this birdo after a graceful landing into her home, which is just a few walls in the open air. <laughs> And we should mention, in the original broadcast, this was where the pop song went, and it was a cover of Surfing Bird by the Trash Men. I, I, I will spare you guys from my rendition of that. <laughs> Mostly for copyright reasons.
1: Yeah, we don't need will, to get copy straight just yet.
0: I, I will
2: say the animation's cute, though, Umberto kind of just flying around in circles and then just shrugging and
0: falling. <laughs> <laughs> that was cute.
2: Um, also, Berto slobbers... A lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Birdo starts peppering Toad with slobbery kisses and continues to spit when she speaks for certain portions. It's legitimately gross. There hasn't been this much spittle since the last time there was a Sylvester Marathon on Cartoon Network. I have to say that
2: I wish they colored that spittle like light blue instead of white because it makes every screenshot you take of this look questionable.
1: It, it, does this fall into Jordan's, uh, what am I supposed to think of this? Um, a little. <laughs> oh, there's worse. Oh, I'm sure there's worse. <laughs> by the way, go please check out That's Not Quite All podcast.
0: And we get more nearsightedness jokes as we find out Birdo's been looking for her kid long enough for him to be on a milk carton. Toad's desperate attempts to escape this fate are interpreted as a game by the nearsighted mini-boss.
1: It's
2: not just
0: nearsighted, she's oblivious.
1: A little nearsightedness, a little stupidity.
2: Maybe she's just also got a little loco looking for her kid. You know, it's possible.
1: Well, she's also in probably a very cold climate. I mean, cold does make you do crazy shit.
2: I will say that another thing I do like in this show is I like the really weird, surreal backgrounds they draw in this. They're all at odd angles and very strange and I kind of like it It, they, they stick out a lot I think they look cool
0: now an earthquake breaks up the path the remaining heroes are taking and the princess and Luigi despair but Mario insists when the pipe is plugged keep plunging they just need a running start to bridge the gap just like in the games of all the things to get right about the Mario video games, jumping mechanics is what they settled on I'm both proud and baffled by this at the same
1: time Hey, listen, I'm giving him kudos, okay?
2: <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, it's better than nothing. I mean, we've seen the stuff they've gotten wrong in Captain
0: <laughs> N.
1: Listen, th- this is the easiest thing they could have they fudged, okay? At least they got something.
0: As they resume their journey, a pair of flurries, which are little snow creatures from the second game, they spot the heroes and go to tell King Koopa Koopa himself isn't impressed with their gloating, saying, Watch it, soldiers. When I want my feet lit, I'll ask for
2: it. I want my feet lit. This will be the last time those pinhead plumbers throw a monkey wrench into my evil plan.
0: <laughs> now, in the words of our friend Jordan Schmidt, What am I to make of this? Super Mario Super Show directed by Quentin Tarantino.
1: <laughs> now that would be interesting.
2: Y- y- you know, if there's any scene in this that feels like it should be like given the, the, the writer's thinly disguised fetish meme. This that scene a, was it. The, fir- the, first,
1: the first one is just, okay, we're going to see what we can get by the censors. And then this one was a, okay, they didn't nail us yet. Let's try this.
2: I wonder if this affected
0: some people in their future. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say.
1: It's a possibility.
0: So, King Koopa, who, by the way, is never once called Bowser. know oh, the Super Mario 3 cartoon anyways. Right, yeah, but, you know, that's neither, that's not here. Yeah. He radios a fleet of albatrosses into action. And these are, well, just albatrosses. They're albatrosses? Yeah, albatrosses is, is the plural of albatross. I had to double check. Well, well,
2: no, I think they're actually called albatoss in this oh. game. let me oh. double check that. I might be wrong. No, albatosses? yeah, it's albatoss.
0: There's no R. Okay, so they're albatosses. Because that's a. Pun, but they're still basically they're albatrosses. albatrosses.
2: The
1: <laughs> they're not albatosses.
2: But uh, but yeah, no. Uh, also, King Koopa calls them Koopa Troopas too before. When he calls on them, which they're they're not, <laughs> you could
1: tell who did, you could you could tell someone didn't play the game <laughs> or read the manual.
0: It's also possible they're just using it as, as a generic for the entire Koopa army.
2: That's fair. And that's also fair.
0: So all of this happens while Toad is still unable to convince the Birdo that he's not one of her breed. When a cuckoo clock with a human face, because you know, why not? Flipping around the bird human dynamic.
2: Flipping around. Mildly disturbing looking, but yes.
0: Yeah, it, it almost reminded me of one of those little scrunched up face puppet things you got out of vending machines.
2: Oh,
1: those will give you nightmares.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so the clock strikes two, and it's time for Cheapy's flying lessons.
1: Flying lessons? <laughs> yeah, this just got dark. <laughs>
0: This, as the heroes are getting higher up the mountain, as Mario asks the one thing you never ask. What could go wrong?
1: I think that should be, like, the top in any, like, adventurer's guide is, what should you never ask? Uh, well, that should be, like, rule one.
2: Actually, technically what he said was... uh Hey Luigi, it can't get any worse, and Luigi's like, "How could it get worse?" And so it's like double whammy on them. <laughs> Either yeah, way, that's, that's number
0: two. So an albatross drops a sear. Oh, let me start. A group of al, no, no, that's not right. A flock of albatrosses. Dro- no, I, I, I said it right, but I'm trying to get the right uh, descriptive. Ah. The murder, a murder of albatrosses. That
1: works better. <laughs> the murder. <laughs> Yeah. If it was two, it's an attempted murder.
0: A murder of albatrosses drops a series of bombs in their path, which Mario and company swat away before they can explode in their faces. Now, uh, I, I, I'm not invoking. Now, wait just a minute here, because cartoon bombs and video game bombs have much in common. You see. I just want to say that when the first one gets
2: dropped and Mario just runs up and slaps it, it's kind of, it's kind of
0: awesome in a way. It's just like, wow.
1: Mario has perfected uh, yeah, the glitch Go slap. Mario! <laughs> it was super effective.
0: One trio of albatrosses cause an avalanche, however, threatening to trash the trio as they race to escape and only get trapped in a small cave they fled into for safety, with a random door on it. It's a very Super Mario 2 esque door, kinda, I guess. Well,
1: it was out at the time.
0: Poor Toad is still contending with his fear of heights. As the Birdo goes through the lessons, desperately offering her his cash.
2: <laughs> He's trying anything. I've got ten coins. If you g- if I give them to you, will you let me go? Oh, I'll let you go, little cheapy. when we're thirty feet in the air. Yeah, you could
1: tell Toad did not think that one through too well.
2: Also, you think, like, Toad's voice in this may have also inspired, like, Toad's voice in the game, since it's high-pitched and scratchy in those? possibly yeah oh there's there's one deal i don't think they do it it, i don't know if they do it in any of these episodes but there is one running gag they do with toad throughout like this in the super mario 3 cartoon that i always thought was kind of cute which was anytime toad gets squashed or falls or anything is done towards him in a physical sense he always makes like a dog squeak sound and i always thought it was really amusing little gag they did with him. I don't know why they do that with them,
0: but I I love it. I think it's just he looks like a dog toy. Well, it occurs in the introduction animation. Ah, you're right. So the other heroes get a break as the princess spots a fire flower, giving them the means to escape the snow. With a boost from Luigi, Mario grabs it and blasts a path through the snow pile. We also get the running gag in this series that's just kind of All
2: right, Um, which is the uh, patty cake, patty cake plumber's man thing that they do in
0: multiple episodes. That's fair. For a brief boost of energy. Now, King Koopa, meanwhile, is awarding the Albatoss's medals when the Flurries report the trio survived and Koopa takes the medals back. Mutley can relate.
1: Poor Mutley. Someday he'll get that medal.
0: That's really Koopa vows to lead the next attack as the heroes try to figure out their next move, when right behind them is Cheepy, frozen in a block of ice. Once Mario defrosts the tyke, they quickly put two and two together.
2: Just in time for uh, Toad to get dropped 30 feet.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But Toad uses his head, quite literally, utilizing his mushroom head hat whatever as a parachute and reuniting with the crew
2: which has for a long time caused confusion on whether or not that's a hat or a actually his head. I, I think in the cartoon it's a hat but I think canonically when asked Nintendo said it was actually his head so
1: so it's a removable head.
2: Well, Nintendo also answered this question like probably like five or ten years ago so uh. I don't think they remembered that or wanted to acknowledge
0: it. <laughs>
1: Nintendo creating characters that can be de- decapitated. Good job. Actually, no, that's right in line with them. Never mind.
0: <laughs> the tyke's crying is all it takes to convince the reluctant toad to return to the nest, as Mario and Luigi say they'll keep King Koopa occupied. Sure enough, he's en route via snowmobile with a small army behind him. Mario starts blasting them off with fireballs until a well-timed bomb removes his power. Again, this part of the games is accurate, yet the portrayal of Birdo is so off. Yeah, Mario even loses his powers when hit with a bomb
2: explosion, which is something I, I, don't, I don't think really happens again in any episode I can think of off the top of my head. Just up until the Super Mario 3 cartoon where they actually kind of more canonize that.
1: Yeah, well, but it does make sense in the game because the second that you do get hit in the game, you do lose the flower power.
0: Surrounded, the rescue is provided by produce power via Toad and the Mommy Birdo, causing Bowser to retreat in the face of superior air power.
1: And the fact he hates vegetables.
0: Which is more a thing for wart, but
2: all right. granted, if someone was tr- throwing rutabagas at my head or turnips, whatever they are, I would I would run too, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could see working on Bowser too.
0: So at least they got the vegetables from Super Mario 2 as well. Yeah. Once King Koopa is beaten back, Mommy Birdo invites everyone to dinner, which is worms, talking worms that take umbrage at being called spaghetti. The hero quartet escape. The only worm we can actually see grouses. The end. Nobody
1: <laughs>, laughs, although I do have to say, um, as someone who is a Harry, who was a Harry Potter's fan, uh, the umbrage in your notes capitalized, and I had a shiver go down my spine.
0: Yeah, Microsoft Word did that to me.
1: I know, like I knew, I had a feeling it autocorrected you, and I'm just like, oh, Dolores Umbridge, oh, the most evil creature on earth. <laughs>
2: I, I'm just gonna say that I'm not sure if they should have returned little Cheepy to Berto. I mean, Berto lost little Cheepy long enough that little Cheepy almost froze to death. Maybe Child Protective Services is who they need to call.
1: <laughs> but there is there Child Protective Services in the frozen wasteland. I mean.
2: Animal Protective Services?
0: Same question applies.
1: I know, but the same question applies. Like, I I don't... I mean, she called to say to stop looking for her son, but I, I didn't even notice anyone out looking for her son but her. Like...
2: And that's if they understood or she had the phone backwards.
1: <laughs> that's also fair, too. So, I mean, it looks like the only real organizational force that was out there was, like, King Koopa. Like, that's about it. So not exactly uh, confident
2: in that. So. While taking notes, she's like, when I get control of my kingdom again, <laughs> Child Protective Services.
1: She's like, this is top of the list right here. I don't care if you <laughs> saved me. We're fixing this.
0: Back with the live-action brothers and Nicole Eggert, the guest star gets smoked out by the furnace as she tries to warm up while Luigi moves an unexplained cake away for her to step in. The pizza she sits in, and the debris that lands on her, continues the humiliation conga. But it turns out this is perfect, because she's attending a sloppy party. Huh. So this is why she didn't land face first in the cake. They still needed the rest for her to be lathered in.
1: Dan.
0: So then they all just start throwing...
1: They start rubbing. No, they start rubbing it on her.
0: Speaking of writers poorly disguised fetishes, <laughs> exactly yeah.
1: that whole scene. I'm like, all right, we're going to the next one. This was a little uncomfortable for me.
2: And then she gets superpowers from all of the uh, Mario's garbage and whatnot. <laughs> no, she that becomes, doesn't happen. But she
1: becomes Super Nicole.
2: There you go.
1: So I think I have a little bit of a theory of why King Koopa got all the bad guys from Super Mario Brothers 2, even though they were initially with Wart. He got them on sale.
2: There you go.
1: I mean they don't they're not exactly the most effective bad guys in the flurries in, in this cartoon. So I'm pretty sure Wart was like, I'm done, and was like, here, I'll give them to you
2: cheap. I got a question. Yeah. So this episode ends with them rubbing the cake all over. Her. Does this mean Nicole gets caked up? I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> That's going to be your next commission.
0: <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Folks, it ain't gonna make much more sense after the break. So uh stay tuned. Although we do we do get a little bit of a better guest star. <laughs> next time with Tammy, Chrissy and I Our coverage of the Super Mario Bros. Super Show continues with The Legend of Zelda. The battle for the Triforce comes to animated life with a little inspiration from moonlighting. I mean, Link and Zelda never really talked, so they had to go with something for a direction, right? Don't excuse yourself from catching this episode in two weeks. So... When I remembered the Hulk Hogan rock and wrestling connections between this show and Deke and Captain Lou and all that, it occurred to me this would be our one chance to finally get some proper Rowdy Roddy Piper representation on this podcast. Because we're going to have other shots at Sergeant Slaughter. Oh, yeah. And we'll also have some shots at Randy Savage.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, once we get to the B features in the Dexter's Laboratory cartoon, he shows up and dial M for monkey. Yep. Oh, yeah, he does. But you guys know me. I'm a dyed-in-the-wool fan of old Hot Rod.
1: Oh, yeah. That's why when you when you picked this one and he was the guest, star, I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. hmm <laughs>
0: As I said, when he sadly passed away at a very untimely age, mm. back in the days when the bagpipes hit in an arena, you knew something special was about to happen. Yeah. Because he was just that bonkers.
1: Did you ever watch any of the movies that he starred in? He was actually a really good actor.
0: I've, I have seen They Live.
2: Yeah, he's has in another uh, one, too. I've seen Frog Comes to Helltown.
0: Uh, you mean Hell Comes to Frogtown? Town?
2: Sorry, sorry, you're right, I got mixed up. But yes, I've seen that.
0: So, Piper appears in the episode Crocodile Mario, backed with Rowdy Roddy's Rotten Pipes, where the live-action brothers have been charged with fixing old Hot Rod's bagpipes, and Luigi can't find the things. He's understandably worried about this. He's telling Mario all of this, while Mario vacuums with a uniquely noisy vacuum cleaner, clearly made from the wounded wind instrument. There's a rarely said sentence for you, folks. (laughs) And this, of course, is the exact time for Piper to arrive, who Mario calls a hairy lady in a plaid dress. Now Uh, that's a mistake most people only make once!
2: Ha ha, mistake kilt for dress. Haven't heard that one before. We've
0: heard it already this year. Yeah, DuckTales, exactly.
1: Please go check out that one.
0: I hope Roddy stays out of the wind. Luigi finally realizes what happened to the Piper's Pipes and has to pass off the vacuum cleaner as a -a one-of-a-kind Scottish import from McBronx vacuums. Okay, not bad for quickly improvising. When Roddy insists they turn it on, it works in reverse, blowing dust in the face of an already irritated, generally violent Canadian man playing a Scotsman. Though Roddy is of authentic Scottish descent and can actually play the bagpipes, so it's less egregious than, say, getting someone of Italian descent and making them portray a Native American. Happened a lot in pro wrestling in the 70s and 80s.
2: Is is Danny Wells even Italian?
0: I couldn't tell you. Or Brooklyn?
2: (laughs) Oh,
1: that's a good question.
0: Now, the animated portion, Crocodile Mario, was written by David Schwartz, not to be confused with the David Schwartz, who is a live actor. This David mostly worked on storyboards, particularly for a lot of the Warner direct-to-video Scooby-Doo movies and the second season of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated.
2: Wow. By the way, quick, uh, according to Wikipedia, Denny Wells was born in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. He was Jewish. So, so, definitely not Italian. <laughs> definitely not pure-blooded Italian, anyway.
1: Yeah. I mean, he could be, well, he was, he was, he, he was Jewish.
2: Yeah. His so, uh, real last name is actually, he was born Jack Westelman. So
1: I, 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 I will so say he did have a good Brooklyn accent, you know? Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. I see right here where it says he was Jewish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right. Uh, let's see. So Jewish Canadian.
1: Jewish Canadian. Well, you know, uh, Mr. Danny Wells, um, Rest in power, because he did die in uh, 2013 in Toronto, Canada. But man, I mean, he did a damn good job.
2: He does a good imitation. It's believable enough that he's from Brooklyn. I would have believed he's from Brooklyn. He's so good enough.
1: Yeah, he was a good, he was an amazing actor.
0: The cartoon opens in Down Underland, where the heroes walk past some Kanga birdos en route to a statue whose magic they hope will help protect the Mushroom Kingdom. Um, now, Pemi, we need to address these backgrounds, because this is abstract even by the standards of a Mario game.
2: Yeah, a lot of times you're standing in what seems like... nothing.
0: <laughs> like,
2: I-, I think it's the sky.
0: You see, the Down Underland is portrayed as upside down, with, uh, wooden planks and the like acting as a, uh, walkway for people who are right side up which is nearly everyone else but at the same time there's bits of land and bodies of water that just seem to be in the sky
2: and a lot of scenes where the characters are just standing in the purple area which is outside of said planked like areas and stuff so yeah, I don't even think the animators knew what was going on with this place.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they were just like, "Okay, you want it to be down under, upside down." Okay, that's what the boss wants. I think that's what it, I think that's what it was. It's like, well, that's what the boss wants, and he signs the paycheck. All right, guys, let's go. <laughs> like, I think that's what they were. They were like, "All right, Batman, that's what you want. That's what we're gonna give you."
2: That or you know. <laughs> Deke just didn't want to pay for retakes to fix all the scenes.
0: (laughs) That's that's also fair too. While I'm thinking of it, if I had to guess if there was a a song that that was included here, uh, I mean a licensed song, I would probably figure it's Land Down Under by Men at Work. That
1: would Uh, work. Let me find out when that came out. Yeah, 1981.
2: I listened to that song not too terribly long ago.
0: Also, this statue looks like an animated depiction of Paul Hogan in character as Crocodile Dundee.
1: Could also be the theme yeah. from Crocodile Dundee.
0: That's another possibility. And naturally, King Koopa wants the statue too. This is what happens when you only have one reoccurring antagonist. That's fair. And he's
2: now Kangaroo Koopa, which gets into this uh, common gag that's in a majority of the episodes where King Koopa likes
0: to cosplay? Yeah, he takes on a different persona, even though it's still him, nearly every episode. Listen,
1: the dude gets bored. Let, let him have his fun.
0: He likes the cosplay. I mean,
2: compared to what we saw in the first episode, that's not that bad.
0: No, <laughs> not at all. No, not in the slightest.
2: By the way, I support cosplayers. I have friends who cosplay. It's there's. Yeah, and I'm yeah. one of them. Yeah, that's a fun hobby. I used to be into it. And, I, Not and so I'm
1: going to be honest, but, his costume's really good. Like, so give, it, give, give, give the man kudos. His costume's pretty damn good.
2: Yeah, we even got an episode where he was dressed as Darth Vader.
0: So Kangaroo Koopa runs off with the statue as a local toad who isn't identified as a mayor, but we can assume he's the mayor. Yeah. He protests.
2: He's in front of the city hall Sure.
0: It also turns out that the statue is what wards off the crocodiles from invading the town. So within seconds, the place is infested with potential luggage.
2: Wait, I got a question. If the Mushroom Kingdom's a monarchy, then why do we have mayors?
1: Well, you can still have mayors that run the individual towns and report but back. He doesn't look Who's anything
2: great? like a horse. <laughs> Sorry,
0: I had to.
1: It's fine. Set
0: up the pun. <laughs>
1: Sorry, Sunset Slade.
0: If if a pun like that is good enough for Bugs Bunny and Yosemite Sam, I think it should be good enough for
1: us. (laughs) That's fair.
0: Mario bemoans wanting to have lunch and not be it before the group moves into action. And there's some not great dialogue as Mario wrangles with the crocs, including the uh, aforementioned Plumber's Helper. Yeah. Also, there's a
2: delivery from Toadstool that's just really stilted. She's like, oh, no, that I don't remember what exactly she said, but she said she points out that Toad is going to be attacked by, like, uh, one of the crocodiles and says it in the most uninterested, unworried, like, tone possible.
1: Is it is it worse than than the than the one time in the Johnny Cipher cartoon that's on your channel?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Johnny, not there.
1: Because I still think that is, the, that is the standard of you're in it for a paycheck.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, her, her, it's just it's so weirdly delivered. Like, she just sounds like she doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they record a bunch of these episodes and she's just tired.
0: It could be. Eventually, the lead toad in town gets them to the roof of the general store. And as the crocs start eating away at the store's exterior, the princess calls for Mario and Luigi to retrieve the statue. One plunger pogo move out of town, and they're on the hunt. That's not a plumber's little helper.
2: This is a plumber's, plumber's little, little helper. helper. Because,
0: you and know, it's the they exact had... same thing.
2: Yeah. I, I just... I don't know. They had they're to get trying
0: a... to play off... That's not a knife. Right. This what is, is this a is knife. This is a knife.
2: Yeah. It's like, had to get the Crocodile Dundee reference in there somehow. Yeah.
1: Well, you... Yeah.
2: Yeah. Also... What about these King of Birdos? What the heck?
0: Yeah, what the <laughs> heck are these? Well, headed down the river, the brothers deal with an ambush of them as King Koopa spots the brothers. Honestly, Mario's not worried about Birdo eggs or boomerangs from Koopa Troopas. It's the rapids up ahead that are the problem. By the way, worth pointing out,
2: he actually calls, if I remember right, I think he calls the... Uh... Does he call the boomerang the the Koopa Troopas Boomerang Brothers? I don't think he does. No, if, no, he doesn't. But it could still be a precursor to the Boomerang Brothers in Super Mario Brothers Three.
0: It could an accidental one.
2: Yeah, <laughs> very accidental. But I'll still take it.
0: <laughs> True. Give,
1: give him credit. I mean, we have to at least give it to them, okay? They don't get many points, so they they need them when when we can give it to them.
0: As the princess tries to assure the assembled toads, who realize they're the shrimps about to land on the Barbie, that the brothers will pull through, the pugilistic plumbers are about to crash into a massive boulder. But post-commercial, Mario fashions a boomerang from a plunger, which retrieves some vines for them to swing to safety.
2: Mario also calls himself Crocodile Mario in this scene because they had that related to this they had to throw in a reference
0: to the title somehow.
2: Exactly even if it feels completely
0: nonsensical. To- princess still calls him that earlier, too.
2: Oh, really? Okay, my bad.
0: Also, uh, Luigi didn't know Mario was such a swinger. She will soon. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the princess and the toads have to invade a koala's tree just to get to some high ground, and the gators are still chomping everything up to get to their desired prey. The longer this goes on, the more I wonder how the crocodiles aren't getting massive belly aches. They're very hungry, seemingly. It didn't mean they swallowed. The brothers themselves think they lost the trail, but but spot a massive procession of crocs, and Mario realizes they're probably retreating from the statue's smell. Actually, a relatively well-informed conclusion. So, you know, that's a point we can definitely give the the team a deke.
2: Yeah. yeah, though I feel like it took longer to to explain that point than it should have.
0: Fair. Yeah. Reaching Kangaroo Koopa's treehouse, the brothers swipe it back while he sleeps, but Luigi trips and wakes King Koopa up. And the chase is on as the brothers pass the statue between themselves with King Koopa in the middle.
1: Oh, it's
2: Monkey in the middle! I love playing Koopa in the middle.
0: Koopa in the middle is fun! Um... Precisely how light is this statue?
2: Yeah, that's what I was going to get to. I was like, man, (laughs) Luigi's actually pretty strong.
1: Well, um, considering how fast Koopa made off with it, um, pretty light.
0: Well, Koopa's generally very very strong himself, so.
1: Mm, Yeah, I guess. But Mario beats him fairly easily. Especially in
0: Well, physical strength. I'm speaking of. I mean, this is before Super Mario 64, when it was established that Mario can swing Koopa around by the tail.
1: Mario still beats on him pretty easily. I mean, it only takes three hits to beat him in in Mario in the Mario Super Mario Brothers game. Like you jump on him three times and he goes down. I mean, that's pretty fast.
2: Super Mario Brothers. You have to shoot him with fireballs or get the drawbridge
0: thing. So yeah, anyway. if you're jumping on King Koopa, you're dead. Yeah,
2: that's yeah. true. But uh, hey, Mario Luigi has good upper body strength. It's from all that wrenching. It's you know
1: throwing shit. Like, come on.
2: I mean, they do literally pick up enemies and throw them in. Actually, there you go. There's there's the idea. So we'll Mario worry. too, they pick up and pick up and throw enemies like they're nothing. So
0: yeah, it looks like we just had to talk it out. We yep. always do. <laughs> <laughs> this goes on all the way into town. As the statue's enchantment scares off the crocodiles, Mario pitches it to the princess, who returns it to the pedestal and kisses the statue, reinvigorating its magic while the statue blushes.
1: Oh, okay.
0: I'd blush. Yeah, you would. The crocs chase Koopa off after the brothers are lassoed to safety by Toad, and everyone laughs while Mario asks for a pizza on the barbie. Grilled pizza's good. Now, if you've been keeping track of time, folks, you'll notice we didn't spend a ton of time discussing this cartoon. There really wasn't much to it, especially compared to the weirdness abounding in the first one. Yeah, this
1: was pretty tame compared to the first cartoon.
0: This one just feels like a very basic
2: plot that they could have just stuck in, like, literally anywhere and just added an Australian theme at the last point and said, yeah, well, uh, there you go. Or maybe it was just one of the ones they had that they desperately needed to fill in for that 65-episode count.
0: <laughs> Back in live-action land, Piper is washing up and the brothers need to buy time. Lacking bagpipe music, they opt for opera. Roddy is cheering up a bit and asks for another towel. And Mario hands him a very soiled rag. When Piper sees what it did, he's even angrier than before. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's par for the course for Piper.
0: Yeah, and his facial expressions throughout this are just priceless.
1: Oh my god, it's it's so
0: great. It really is. But finally, the brothers have the bagpipes rigged up to autoplay. And Piper is happy as can be. So happy, the brothers are still afraid he'll obliterate them just from his hyperactiveness. Yep, that's Hot Rod for you.
1: Oh, definitely.
0: Electric bagpipes.
1: Hey, they have an el- they have electric violins
0: now. Why not? So that's our two episodes, and the show as a whole was actually a solid success in terms of ratings. With Danny Wells recalling that it beat the competition in other time slots in his area with barely any advertising. The power uh, of Mario. Yeah. Critics, however, were not as kind as audiences were, mm. and. some of the broad Italian stereotypes have not aged well with certain audiences. I guess it could have been worse. I mean, at least Mario's not like, forget about it.
1: Well, and the thing is, is that they, they portrayed a lot of more positive stereotypes They did it. They, they portrayed more positive Italian stereotypes. And honestly, it's more New York city Italians than just straight Italians. And, I can't get pissed about it as an Italian. Like, I watched the show and I laughed because I have cousins who are New York Italians. And I laughed my butt off because I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) some of these are my cousins. Like, the thing is, is it wasn't derogatory. It didn't portray them in a negative light. You weren't doing the mafioso stuff that, you know, most people in the 80s did with Italians. It was fun. It was lighthearted. And it wasn't anything that Nintendo wasn't putting out there to begin with about the Mario Brothers.
2: Outside the fact they feel the need to mention, like, Italian food any chance they get. Nervous noodles! Leaping lasagna! Well, and the thing is, is hey,
1: I mean, they could have done swearing in Italian. No one would have understood it. I mean, I've heard worse things kind of my cousin's mouth, like Marron. And, you know... Other stuff, and I mean, I'm saying "maron" because that just means "damn" in Italian. I mean, I've heard worse things in my own household of coming out of like the few cousins I have that speak Italian, and my Italian cousins who come over. Like, I'm I could show them the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, and they would just start laughing their butt off because they think it would be absolutely hilarious, and be like, and they would not be offended. There was worse things being shown on TV at the time, and I think the critics for picking on that come on. I've seen worse stuff at the same time on TV. And I looked up the reviews of that of those shows that portrayed Italians, and they weren't even saying anything about how Italians were portrayed on those shows, which were much worse. Hey, Good Looking portrayed Italians in a much worse light. A much worse light. And no one made a comment about that.
0: Now, there's one criticism I found on Wikipedia from IGN's Mark Bosan That the Mario cartoons are, quote, Aside from the Zelda CDI games, they are the biggest offenders among Nintendo's many embarrassing moments. Now, Mr. Bosan, I would point you to not only Captain N, which has aged far more poorly than this show ever did, but also the bewildering Super Mario Brothers live-action movie released a few years later.
1: When did he write that?
0: Right around when the full-season DVD series was released.
1: When was that?
0: Mid-2000s? Yeah. So right.
1: apparently this man has not watched anything else that Nintendo has put out in, in that time period. Because I would point to the Super Mario World cartoon and be like, <laughs> Dude,
0: did oh. you not
1: watch this?
0: Oh yeah, that too, yes.
1: It's like it's like, dude. Did you not watch anything else that Nintendo had put out after this? Like this, this was a crowning achievement compared to some of the other stuff.
0: Yoshi's scared of
1: critics, Mario. Yeah, and like, did you not watch some of the other things they put out? Like, I love Captain N, but Captain N in many ways could be considered very bad compared to this. Like this show is was great. For the most part. Like, you're right. Captain N aged very poorly. And Mr. Bozen, I I don't know what shows you watched, but um, I think you need to take that back. You obviously did not watch the Super Mario Brothers live-action movie, and you obviously did not watch any of other Nintendo cartoons in order to make that statement, (laughs) sir. You are wrong.
0: Let's not pick on him too hard. After all, his brother did create Shantae.
2: Or co-create, but yes. co-create, yeah. I'm
0: sorry, co-create his, brother, his,
1: his brother is separate from him. If he created Shantae, I would give him grace, but his brother is completely separate from him.
2: Also fair.
0: Now, <laughs> what mystifies me the most about this series isn't the writing or the character designs or any of that. But instead that Deke thought it would be a good idea to air the entirety of the first season with different wraparound segments in 1990. Now, I believe I know why this happened. NBC wanted to add the Mario characters to their Saturday lineup, and Deke obliged with The Adventures of Super Mario Bros. 3 as part of an hour-long combo package with Captain N, but minus the voices of Albano, Wells, and Elias not to mention the live-action presences of the former duo. Losing the two talents who anchored the wraparounds and needing to further distinguish these reruns from the new material on NBC, Deke decided to wring more blood from the stone by rebranding the existing cartoons as Club Mario, with new wraparounds starring two obnoxious teen hosts played by Chris Coombs and Michael Anthony Rollins. The set was simplified, the dialogue was a poor attempt to imitate teenage slang, the supporting cast included a sci-fi princess who introduced segments from Deke's short-lived live-action laser gun TV series Photon as if she were some tedious high school gossip, and the whole vibe of the live-action segments just screamed, 90s! 90s! at the top of its strained lungs.
1: I don't remember this at all, and I think I'm kind of happy about that.
0: Yeah, you didn't miss much. Good. I really don't have much
2: to say about that, other than it was one of those things I someone told me about, and I didn't think it existed until, like, I found it one on YouTube, and that's really all I have to say about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I thought they were having a fever dream. Yeah.
1: You know that Absinthe just got to their head.
0: <laughs> but Deke wasn't just animating King Koopa. Oh, no. They brought that specific character to live-action solely in the Los Angeles market with King Koopa's cool cartoons, turning the Turtle Beast into a bargain-basement Bozo the Clown-style kid's host. What? And it gets crazier. You see, Christopher Latta, yes, Starscream and Cobra Commander himself, donned a costume with green makeup and prosthetics to introduce old public domain cartoons in this half-hour-long format show. I live (laughs) Skin! <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that broke me. Okay, continue. Only to be replaced roughly midway through by one of Lada's G.I. Joe co-stars, Patrick Penny. Now, this wonder- show, too, only lasted a single season. And due to its limited scope of release, it's now mostly lost media. Oh...
1: Uh,
2: a, a clip did resurface recently where uh, King Koopa threatens a kind of threatens a kid. I, I don't remember what the joke. Well, it, it was like a joke happens to him from a kid on like that cinnamon a letter or something. And he just ends with him going, "I know where you live. I'm gonna put piranhas in your bathtub." I was like, "All right." <laughs> I, I,
1: I I have no words. I I just have no words. Was Chris Latta that hard up for money for his drug habit at the time?
2: Maybe. Supposedly appeared on uh, Married with Children at one point, too.
1: Well, that I can see. Because that was a popular show, but like...
0: Sometimes
2: you just gotta do what you
0: gotta do. <laughs> I also wonder if how this lines up with the timeline of his single season on The Simpsons and him being dismissed from the same show.
1: It, it's a possibility. I mean... My add on to this too, with all of this going on, is I also remember when um oh what was it? Not um Ice Capades, when they did one of their TV showings, uh the actor who played Mr. Belvedere.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: He was on, he was on it. He played uh he played Bowser. Yep. In one of their in one of their um skits on the television special for Mario Brothers.
0: Once the Super Show had finished its first run in syndication, airings on the Family Channel and elsewhere on Basic Cable mercifully restored the live-action segments with Albano and Wells. The episodes have been sporadically released on DVD here and there, but like Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century, which we looked at last episode, they're all on YouTube from the current rights holder, Wildbrain, free of charge and only missing the covers of the various rock and pop tunes. Making it one of the easiest time capsules of late '80s animation to track down today, free of charge, well, anyway. Well, Brain is doing is
1: is doing God's work on this. <laughs> I think they're pretty much out to try to find all of popular '80s animation that that's currently in rights limbo and bring well, them to YouTube.
2: Well, I think it's more that they just have uh, they have, uh, they, have a, they have a major they own a majority of the Deke uh, library
0: mm. at the moment. Now, the question is, for you, the listener, is it worth tracking down? Well, if you have nostalgia for the show, maybe. If you love the Mario games, maybe. Otherwise, this is a very mixed bag. See, the animation isn't that bad by Deke's standards. The voice acting tends to be well above average, minus a line or two. And the live-action segments have a wonderful, goofy charm to them, like a silly 60s sitcom premise. But the writing of the cartoons themselves, at least of the two episodes we viewed, that does kind of suffer here and there. It's average.
1: I think if you want a a good slice looking into 80s pop culture, this is a good show to look at for that.
0: I mean, I'm certainly going to be more inclined to watch this if it just happened to be on than, say, Captain N., that's fair. And I definitely uh, I would... would rather watch this than Darkstalkers. Oh, definitely. Oh,
1: definitely.
0: I I don't know if I 100%
2: agree with the Captain In line, but I will say that, yeah, Average is a good opinion on this show. I do like, personally like the Mario cartoon that came after this better, but not the
0: one that came after that one. Well, so you're... we are definitely doing an episode on that Mario cartoon, but probably next year since... We're doing this Mario cartoon and Zelda the next episode, so that's going to really fill our video game quota for the year. Ish.
1: So I mean, and that's yeah. and that's
0: before we decide if we want to do Cubert too. We, oh, because boy. of course, oh, and also pole position, because of course all of those cartoons are on, on the, the list. list.
1: Yeah, it's um. Yeah, I would definitely say Super Mario World is one is one we will be torturing ourselves. It will be definitely oh. a day that we want to torture ourselves. Yeah, um, that one's but,
2: definitely the worst of the three.
1: Yeah, that's why when Boson's like, oh, yeah, this, oh, my God, this is the poor. It's like, did you watch that one? Because uh, I think Nintendo's trying to hide that that ever existed. <laughs> they're willing to admit to everything else. But that's one where they're like, yeah, we we don't. No, that? That never existed. No, no, not at all. It's like the Philips CD- Zelda CDI games. Like, I will give you the Zelda CDI games are an embarrassment. <laughs> so is Super Mario Brother World. Um, now,
0: to wrap up, speaking of things we're probably not going to be looking at very soon, which brother had the most embarrassing project following this show? Well... Danny Wells provided his voice for Barnyard Commandos, and okay. Pemmy did one of his most flummoxed episodes of Cartoon Catastrophes on it.
2: That mm. I, mm, that cartoon is so bad that that ranks as one of the worst cartoons I've ever watched. I mean, poor poor Danny Wells. I forgot who he was. All of a sudden, I think he's one of the sergeant. He, he's one that he, he's the guy in charge of the pig team, if I remember right who's just like oh I'm a pig. I eat a lot and I tell people what to do, but I'm also lazy cuz I'm a pig. But oh that show is just I have it's not just bad on like it's animated bad, it's written bad. Even the continuity is bad. It honestly feels like the people making the show forget where the characters are constantly and things just kind of happen. I it's bad. It's bad. It's really really bad. <laughs>
0: Captain Lou, on the other hand, partnered with former boxing writer Bert Sugar on the book The Complete Idiot's Guide to Pro Wrestling, which is so loaded with factual inaccuracies and misspellings that only a complete idiot would mistake it for being worth your time. I'm only going to trouble you with two of the big ones. Among the facts it lists are that Kurt Hennig ended his matches with a dropkick. He didn't. It was a fisherman's suplex that he dubbed the Perfect Plex, in keeping with his gimmick of being Mr. Perfect. And also, according to this book, The Rock's full name is Rocky Melvin. Mamma Mia!
1: Oh, he went on to do a lot of other stuff, too. Danny Wells did. He went on to video games. Voicing video games.
0: Really? Yeah. Captain Lou also popped up on Ghostwriter. Rider.
1: I, I think they both went
0: on... Uh... You know, there, there's there's definitely some good stuff they did, but, you know, I just wanted to point out these two really embarrassing ones because that's where the more funny content is. That's yeah.
1: fair enough.
2: Okay, I, I, I just quickly looked at Danny Wells' uh, filmography and on um, video games. I laughed at just what the role was called. It's like 2001, Wizardry 8. Male aggressive uh, B.
1: Yeah, <laughs> maybe that should be considered his most American, one of his more embarrassing roles. It's like you are male aggressive B. Go. Well,
0: I think that just about wraps it up. And rather than going to restock the breakfast cereal, there's only one way we can end this episode. <clears throat> Until next time, everybody. Do the Mario. Take one
1: mm. step. And then again, da, 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 da. do the Mario. Do the Mario.
0: Good night, everybody.
2: Bye. Just like that. See ya. James, and the painting
0: changed
2: to the sort of
0: hopefully funny cartoon. Podcast. The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michaels Smith. For questions and comments, email me at james at fc3roc.org.